The action in those few verses makes me feel right at home. I just sounds of a cyclone, potential bushfire, and then given that 160 languages are spoken in Australia, all these people speaking different languages just makes you feel like everyday Australia. Anyway, let's pray. Lord, I thank you in Jesus' name for interacting with your disciples and showing us the way to live. I thank you, Lord, that people wrote down these events and we can read them today. Lord, you know the people who are hearing this message. You know exactly what we need to hear. And Lord, I thank you for the instructions and the opportunities you give to us. I ask these words speak life into all of us today. Amen. Now, this morning we are looking at the foundation of the church and how the Holy Spirit equips the church to do the work of the ministry. And we talk about Pentecost. The word Pentecost simply means 50 days after Passover. It was the festival of weeks, was what it was called by the Jewish people, and it was the beginning of the wheat harvest. It was the Jewish celebration where they received the law. Now the Passover celebration brings to mind the events when the Israelites were slaves in Egypt and they were protected from the plagues that were put on the people of Egypt. Now we know the story well. The Israelites dramatically escaped from Egypt. You know, they crossed the Red Sea. And then seven weeks later, Moses received God's law and shared it with the people. Now in some Jewish communities, yeah, this is to today, young people will stay up all night just as a tribute to remember um, and celebrate all the people who've studied all night getting ready for their exams, people who've pulled an all-nighter. Um, and it's just a way of celebrating this event. So simply, Passover marks God's miraculous freeing of the Israelites from Egypt and Pentecost, or the Festival of Weeks, marks the beginning of the new nation. So one's God acting on the people directly, the next one's setting up the law for the nation. Jesus fulfilled the meaning of the Passover festival at Easter. And the Holy Spirit fulfilled the meaning of the Festival of Weeks at Pentecost. So Easter marks the time where we are individually rescued from sin. It's the time when Jesus took our sin to the cross so we can take his righteousness to heaven. And Pentecost is marking the foundation of the church. Now the foundation of the church is that we are a community with a message that never changes. But the way way the message is presented is adapting to the circumstances around us. Now the church community is absolutely essential to the Christian walk. I love being part of this community. And I'm glad you're part of this community. The church is much more than just a community of praying people. It's more than a selection of saved souls. It's more than a body of Bible believers. It's the church. There's no other word that describes what this is but church. In fact, we're having a little bit of church here this morning. In fact, I think this morning we're having a lot of church with our flames and uh, all the activity. Now, because faith is so deeply personal, it's a really personal thing, we can fall into the trap of thinking that we shouldn't share it with one another. 
but nothing can be further from the truth. Faith is personal, but it's not private. Other people in the church need to participate in our faith. We need to uh, participate in other people's faith. So let's look at our Bible reading. Verse 1. Our reading says, The believers were meeting in one place. This is where the action happened, when the believers were together. Now, to be called a believer, logic dictates that you must already believe. And we know that the disciples were called as individuals and they responded individually. We see Matthew's calling. He was at work, Matthew 9.9. He was at work and Jesus said, follow me. Matthew got up and followed him. Simon and Andrew, they were called together but they individually responded. So they made an individual response to God. Simon and Andrew were called in Matthew 4 verse 19. But the real action starts when they're together. Now the same is true for us. God may have called, you may have been anywhere at any time when God called you. I know of somebody in this church who was called by God in Pentecost Avenue. Now the real action began when she started this church. And Jesus said in Matthew 18.20, where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there. And look, we see this right through scripture. It's even right at the very beginning. In Genesis 2.18, everything God looked at, everything that God had done, he looked at and said, it is good. This is, this is the pattern. God's saying, you know, we've created this, done that, and it is good. And then he looked at man in the garden and said, it is not good for man to be alone. This idea has been going right through scripture. It's not good for us to be alone. We can't do it on our own. We need one another. So faith is personal, but it's not private. Let's go back to Acts 2. Now the scene starts with some pretty impressive special effects. Fire and wind together. I think OHS would have had their work cut out for them trying to plan for that one. Can you imagine negotiating with God about staging? Now fortunately when I read the scripture again, I read that it was wind first and then fire. It's still difficult, but I reckon the risk assessment might have been a bit easier to get away with. But then truly came the supernatural part. The disciples were conversing with travellers in their native languages, even though the disciples hadn't learnt those languages. The miracle required several people to make it work. Each individual was speaking a second language. It wasn't one person was doing the whole thing. Everybody, all the disciples were participating in this miracle. God gave the gift to the church just where it was needed and when it was needed. Now what I love with this miracle is that the disciples couldn't compare themselves with one another. Now they've got a bit of a track record for comparing themselves. In Matthew 18 we read of the disciples uh, arguing amongst themselves about who will be greatest. Then a little bit later on in chapter 20 the disciples say they want to sit at the right and left hand of Jesus. Now when it comes to uh, com you know, comparing ourselves to each other in our Christian walk it's just not helpful. And the miracle made the comparison impossible. Peter couldn't say my Persian is better than Andrew's Egyptian. How would you know? 
I'm glad we don't do that in our church. Imagine if someone just said, is Dick's music a greater blessing to this church than Catherine's craft? It's just, it's meaningless. What is really important here is the synergy between those gifts of how they're meeting the people in the church. The miracle in Acts 2 was clearly targeted. The disciples had the right language for the right occasion and together they operated in the miracle. So God used his people to strengthen the church and bless the wider community. Now I see this on Anzac Day and I see it at our nativity. In fact, I see it right through the year, but these are main ones. God targets the gifts that we have in this church to get maximum impact, whether it's walking a camel through a pub, uh, finding people to help us put up the Anzac Day banner, uh, Bill Cruz's talks. God is there using his people to strengthen the church and bless the wider community. Now, last Sunday, David spoke about unity in the church and he talked about how it's not about conformity. He said, I'm just going to quote David from last week. David said, Unity in Christ means Christ is our model for that unity. So we look at the way Jesus related to people and he always had their best interest at heart. He didn't do the things he did for his own sake. He, did it, he saw people and responded to their needs for their sake. And this is part of the way God's gifts work. Let's just go back to our Bible reading. We've got a quote from the prophet Joel. And Peter is explaining that these events are a fulfilment of Joel's prophecy. So the prophecy starts with, in the last days. Now for all intents and purposes, that just means from now on. So the scripture, the scripture says, God will pour out his spirit. And we see an example of God. God has been pouring out his spirit right through the Bible. We see this great example in Numbers 11, 26 to 29. We see two men uh, operating in a gift. Two men whose names were Eldad and Medad had remained in the camp and they were prophesying. Joshua who had been Moses' aide for a long time, spoke up and said, Moses, my Lord, stop them. Stop them. They shouldn't be doing this. And Moses replied, are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets. And I wish the Lord would put his spirit on all of them. We then have in Joel the idea of God will pour out his blessing on all people. We even see it in the New Testament. In Mark 9, the disciples asked Jesus to stop someone from doing good because they were not in the disciples' group. But Jesus, in verse 39, encouraged them. He said, anyone who is not against us is for us. Joel's prophecy is about the inclusive nature of Christianity. In you know, Gender, age, race, status, it's for everyone. So I find this an interesting irony. People use the word Pentecostal to describe a subset of churches. When in reality, if you're not a Pentecostal church, you're not a church. Actually, can I just have a quick rant, Dave? Okay. I absolutely abhor the use of something good to exclude others. If someone says they're part of a 
Bible-believing church. The implication that my church is better than your church. Just going to let you into a secret. If it's not a Bible-believing church, it's not a church. There is no other type of church. Well, someone says, our church is spirit-filled. <laughs> Say the same thing. If it's not spirit-filled, it's not a church. I even heard, I've even heard of a Christian movement with a name that was called uh, the Exclusives, just something or other. Uh, if a church excludes someone, it's not a church. Don't need to say who they are. But how can you call yourself an exclusive? I love the name Uniting Church. It's wonderful. Anyway, end of my rant. Now, as spirit-filled people in our spirit-filled Bible-believing church, Pentecostal church, let's rejoice in each other's success. When we see gifts that God pours out on people, let's rejoice in them. Let's be excited, let's encourage one another and genuinely be thrilled for one another. Now, like in the days of the disciples or of Moses, people will react less than favourably when we step out from where they think we belong. But God is equipping us to go right into the wider community and be a blessing. We saw in the story in Acts that uh, the people were accused of being drunk because they were stepping out of their their normal role. And Peter said, but it's nine o'clock in the morning. Other churches might react if we do something bigger here. Other churches might react, you're just a small church. Leave the real ministry to us. The community around us might just say, okay, you can do the op shop, you can do Nativity and Anzac Day, but don't go above your station. We're going to respond to any of that by simply just being available to follow the call of God. And we'll always congratulate others on their success. Now, on the 15th of May, 2016, remember we are believers together and we can't do it on our own. Faith is personal but not private. It is not good for us to be alone. Jesus welcomes all and he wants the best for us all. This morning, like that morning around 2,000 years ago, the Holy Spirit wants to equip us and empower us to do the work of the ministry. Let's say yes.